Hello, and welcome to The Mental Podcast, the podcast of mentalhealthmedia.org. I used to say where we talk about mental health from a holistic perspective, but the more I say that, the more people think I'm talking about homeopathy, healing crystals, and, uh, you know, Reiki. I don't really have a problem with Reiki, but the other stuff, uh, and just in general, we're trying not to be too woo-woo over here. Um, All of the things we're talking about, when I talk about mental health from a holistic perspective, I'm talking about mental health from a whole body, a whole diet, a whole mind, a whole emotion, a whole big picture, whole person approach. And I don't have a word for that yet, but, um, you know, I am steering, when as we create this platform, um, with your help, um, I'm steering way, way, way towards therapies that uh, are definitely not healing crystals, that is not homeopathy, but are therapies that are neglected that do have robust science behind them some of them have like uh, like emdr has been around for decades meditation has been around for centuries um you know and the science for some of these things is not new but even for the the therapies where science is kind of new if it's robust science we're going to concentrate on it if it's something like, uh, you know, homeopathy that the science doesn't look so good, we're not going to spend so much time on it. So I used to say, welcome to Mental Health Media, where uh, we talk about mental health from a holistic perspective. But, uh, you know, when I say that, people hear, welcome to Mental Health Media, uh, welcome to woo-woo land. And uh, that's not what we're doing, but i got to find another way to talk about it. So bear with me. If you have any ideas, let me know. All of the all of the terms seem to be uh, kind of perverted. People here, if I talk, say, integrated health, people think that's woo-woo. If I talk about, uh, if I say alternative medicine, people think we're talking about healing crystals. If I talk about any of these words that, uh, you know, I can imagine, the only word is, the other word I can, I can imagine is comprehensive care. But uh, you know what? Um, People use that in hospitals. It's like physical therapy and stuff. So I don't know. I'm working on it. If you've got an idea, let me know over on Twitter at Zookman, at Z-O-O-K-M-A-N. So on the show today, we have Chaya Grossberg. And I really wanted to uh, upload this episode this week because um, Chaya Grossberg is the author of Freedom from Psychiatric Drugs. She is talking about this very important topic um, while there seems to be a little bit of a breakthrough in the conversation around uh, medication withdrawal and uh, around, um, you know, the side effects and just how ignorant so many doctors are when people are trying to get off meds. Um, Lisa Ling um, had a show this week on her uh, on her uh, on her series. This is life where she um, dives deep into benzo withdrawal um, and how doctors do not know what benzo withdrawal is. Doctors do not know how to prescribe benzodiazepines. Um, And she shows, you know, it looked like her own father was dealing um, with benzo withdrawal and just had a horrific time in the hospital. And, um, and, and, And thanks to Lisa Ling and like, and some other, uh, you know, Jordan Peterson is in the hospital for benzo withdrawal. I think maybe still. I don't know. I haven't kept up with him. I certainly don't agree with everything Jordan Peterson um, 
says, but you know what? Benzo withdrawal is so, it's like the worst thing I could possibly imagine when I say I wouldn't wish, wish it on my uh, worst enemy. Not that Jordan Peterson is my worst enemy, but uh, you know, I really wouldn't. I see people online, uh, you know, getting on Jordan Peterson's case for the Benzo withdrawal. Hey, that is just, cut that out. That's total bullshit. Um, it's really the worst pain I could ever imagine experiencing. It feels like fire. For me, it felt like fire inside of my nerves for months and months and months. I couldn't sleep properly for years, and that just destroyed my immune system. So it's not not a joke. And, uh, you know, Chris Cornell was on Ativan. His wife is on Twitter talking about benzo withdrawal. So it's interesting while it's, uh, you know, mental health awareness week. Finally, we're getting a little bit uh, of information out about patient experiences with medication withdrawal. And uh, so I thought it was a good time to have Chaya Grossberg. She's a consultant for people trying to get off psych meds when their doctors do not know what to do. It is kind of a shame that this, uh, that her job exists because if doctors knew what they were doing, they knew how to prescribe and they knew how to um, you know, properly wean people off these medications, Chaya would not have a job. But Chaya is really busy because doctors don't. Um, so this is a conversation about her work. It's also a conversation um, between two patients, probably first and foremost, a, a conversation uh, between two patients that have just kind of been through the shit and come out the other side and found ways to come out the other side. But um, yeah, I think this is a great one. Um, and uh, yeah, it was this we, 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 we recorded this last year in Tacoma. It's summer out. It's not summer out now. Um, but uh, finally, it's out there. The information is still valuable as ever. And um, yeah, if you do find the conversation valuable, please check out our GoFundMe. You can check it out over at mentalhealthmedia.org. There's a donate button in the corner. Um, or you can go to gofundme.com slash mentalhealthmedia. All contributions are tax deductible. And um and uh, we are up to just over three thousand dollars. We're looking to raise twenty grand to get over to get the first six months of programming um, completed for mental health media. But every dollar we get just helps me produce this podcast and helps uh, just buy us time as we find partners, as we build our team, as we find the executives that are going to help us keep this project alive and healthy. So. Um, Please make that contribution. If you like what you're hearing, give us a chance to um, stick around and help you and help um, patients get this just crucial information out. It's mentalhealthmedia.org or gofundme.com slash mentalhealthmedia. Thank you so, so, so much to everyone who has already contributed so generously. Truly appreciate you giving us a chance to make this mental health media a sustainable reality i think we're going to get there with your help we're going to get there if you already have contributed please just keep telling people about this project if you've got uh, executives in your world if you have business people in your world who may have been touched by this issue please just send them an email just tell them this is this project's going on they need someone with executive experience they need someone that knows how to raise a few shekels because this guy over here, he's doing some good work, but he doesn't have any shekels. So uh, 
If you've got uh, people like that in your life, please reach out and just in general, share it with everybody you know. Um, we're trying to get off the ground. I think we're gonna do it, but we cannot do it without you. So thanks for everybody who supported. Um, thanks for everyone who is going to support. I appreciate you. And as always, don't make any changes to your treatment plan based on anything on the podcast. I'm not a doctor. This podcast does not take the place of a doctor. It's not medical advice. It's not medical care. We're here to like continue the conversation. But uh, if you've got a real issue, you got to talk to your licensed medical health care provider. And with that, I bring you Chaya Grossberg, author of Freedom from Psychiatric Drugs. Welcome to the Mental Podcast. Chaya? Thank Is you. Is it Chaya? Chaya? Mm-hmm. Perfect. Or Chaya? No. No, not even <laughs> no, a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> so tell me a little bit about yourself. What do you What do? You do? Um, so I do consulting with people who are coming off psychiatric medications or looking for alternatives to them. I also am a writer and a blogger. I blog on my own website, which is hyagrossberg.com, as well as at madinamerica.com. So where do people, uh, people who find you, they're just just coming off psych meds or they're thinking they want an alternative or they don't want to go on psych meds or where, where are they and what do you tell them based on where they are? Well, it could be all of the above. Most of the people that find me are struggling a lot to get off psychiatric drugs. Either they've started to and had a really hard time with it, or they've tried to in the past and had a really hard time with it, or they just really want to and are not sure how to go about the withdrawal process. And um, so, you know, it depends where somebody's at, like which drugs they're on, how long they've been on them how high doses they are and how healthy they are, <clears throat> what their lifestyle is. There are so many different factors that affect how, how to approach psychiatric drug withdrawal. So it's it's really different for each person. And why don't they just go to their doctor and just be like, hey, doc, you put me on this med, like... Get oh, me off. Yeah, get me off this med. <laughs> like, what, what, why, what, you're not a doctor. As much as I know, unless you got a degree. Uh, <laughs> yesterday. <since> yesterday. <laughs> I did, actually. Um, no, yeah, I, I definitely tell people that I don't give medical advice and I'm not a doctor. But the problem is that most doctors actually don't know that much about psychiatric drug withdrawal and don't know that much about alternatives or how to support people in the process. And a lot of people have a very limited amount of time with their psychiatrist or MD. I actually think that in some cases, regular MDs can be more helpful for people getting off psych drugs. Partly, I think, because they're not as attached to people staying on them. And they know a little bit more about the physical health of the body in in most cases. Sometimes psychiatrists, it it really depends. There are some psychiatrists that do help people, but they're hard to find. And um, they don't always, um, you know, a lot of psychiatrists will just put some, want to keep putting people on more drugs or um, I think a lot of people, the reason, I think one reason why people come to talk to me is because I understand what they're going through and it gives them a sense of validation to know um, that somebody gets it. Because a lot of times their doctor doesn't understand and doesn't validate their experience, and it makes them feel more alone and overwhelmed with the process. I, I, uh, I was just looking through like all of your results on YouTube, and one of the things I saw you say was you didn't think that you needed psych meds 
until you were on psych meds. I had the same exact feeling. I, I was working nonstop for a decade. I was sleep deprived. I wasn't getting enough to eat. I was producing shows, directing television. Um, I was burnt out. I was just did like the show for Vice where I was in all these dangerous situations with the Russian mafia and Palestinian car thieves. It was no joke and I was just tired and exhausted and um, my dad like knew that I was really depressed so he flew out and got me to a therapist who was like, oh, you definitely have depression. Yeah, you know, you need to go to a, a psych, uh, you need to go to a psychiatrist right away. And I was like, really? Are you sure? Like, I'm not sure that's the problem. Like, I think I have all these other problems. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, I'll give it a chance. And I think I got, like, I think I got prescribed um, Klonopin and like some SSRI. I don't remember exactly. Mm-hmm. And it went downhill so fast. <laughs> and I just remember like thinking, uh, you know, you know, within four, within four months I was on I mean, the number changes depending on who I ask, but my, uh, my therapist said, um, that I was on like a better part of a dozen at the same time within like a few months. And I remember during that time just thinking, Oh, I got to get the meds right. I got to get the meds right. That's the last memory I had. But before that, I remember saying, I'm not sure this is my problem. And then, you know, by that, that was the winter. And then by the summer, I was just like, obliterated like I couldn't think anymore I couldn't nothing made sense the only thing that made sense was playing Alan Watts on YouTube and like him talking about like interdimensionally like <laughs> meditation and time traveling so like this like fuck. <laughs> so yeah I felt that too and yeah and it wasn't until I got off that I actually my brain started feeling better um, but yeah that's not really a question but uh yeah i related to that i mean what what happened what happened with you what did uh how did you get into this uh into this well for me i also well when i first got put on psych drugs um well i guess i very first got put on an ssri when i was a teenager and i was very ambivalent about it you know it was kind of early on it was in the mid to late 90s when it was just starting to become a thing to like put everyone on antidepressants and it wasn't a thing yet and my mom was actually a social worker you know, who had been trained in social work before people were being put on antidepressants. So she was very skeptical about it. <clears throat> My parents were both like very skeptical about it, but I had a therapist that was really pushing it on me. So I ended up taking Prozac for a year. Um, that was just, that that wasn't really my main entrance into the full-on mental health system. But later on when I was in college, I had more of like a spiritual opening and like somewhat of a meltdown experience. Uh, or I don't know if meltdown's the right word, but more like... I don't know, uh, spiritual, like, whatever, um, awakening or something, or what's the word for it? Um, anyways, emergence, there we go, spiritual emergence. <laughs> um, and I, at that time, I was really, I knew I was against psych drugs. I did not want them at all. I was 100%. But I ended up um, getting hospitalized and forced onto them, and then... I didn't know about withdrawal at all, so I just went right off when I got out of the hospital. And I was on, like, some pretty hardcore, like, neuroleptics and benzos. So I had major withdrawal, but I didn't know what was going on. I was just having major panic attacks and, like, couldn't eat and was, like, just acting crazy. And um, so then I got put on another drug. It's a long story, but basically I ended up on seven drugs. And um, In how much time? Within about a year. Yeah. Yeah. Um, It's just, it's kind of a long story how I ended up on all those drugs, but I also had this similar experience of not wanting to be on them at all. And then 
once I was, they really disabled my brain um, such that I couldn't think clearly enough to understand that I needed to get off of them. And everyone, no one around me, it was, you know, it was pretty early on when I was on these seven drugs. I was like in the early, early 2000s. So like around 2002, I think. And um, people then really didn't know much about withdrawal at all. And they didn't know about the side effects or the negative effects of psych drugs. So everybody around me thought I had chronic fatigue syndrome, had some kind of mysterious energy crisis. And the only person of everyone around me that even suggested that it might be the psych drugs was an acupuncturist, Chinese medicine herbalist that I went to. And I think I just dismissed her. I was like, no, it's not that. <laughs> but it was, again, it was really because my brain was so disabled by the drugs that I couldn't discern and understand what was going on. <clears throat> so then I became so reliant on the doctor's opinion and he would just keep giving me more drugs. And I was just like, okay, sure, I'll try it. I had a therapist that was like, yeah, you should look at this again. Yeah, you should look at this again. And I mean, eventually I found a psychiatrist that I got referred to by one of the experimental teams at Stanford that, you know, definitely was open to other approaches, definitely knew a lot about withdrawal. And um, even though I, I mean, she, she told me you need to look somewhere else because something else is going on with your health that is not just psychological and that she sent me to a naturopath that's very good in Washington state. They're very regulated and very good unlike some other places where you never know what you're getting. But uh, that was really the breakthrough. But yeah, I was even hesitant even when my psychiatrist was like, maybe something, maybe it's not just, you know, a mental problem. I mean, and that's another thing is like, and maybe why NMD might be um, a good person uh, to look at you because if you walk into a psychiatrist's office and say, I'm tired, mm -hmm. they're not going to test your <laughs> thyroid. They're mm -hmm. not going to ask you what you're eating. They're not mm -hmm. going to like ask you all this basic biolog bio right. biology. Is that something you work with, uh, yeah, with clients? Yeah, I mean, oh, totally. Like I ask, I, I help people with their diet, with their lifestyle, with supplements. And one of the things that I was going to say before about psychiatrists is that sometimes their schooling has schooled them out of common sense such that they don't even think about the most basic things. And um, like I have this blog called 111 Things to Try Before Taking Psychiatric Drugs. And it's like um, a lot of psychiatrists even think that psychiatric drugs should be a last resort but they actually only try like only think of maybe three other things like they might think of exercise they might think of sleep and they might think of like do you have friends or do you have hobbies or something like that but like they don't actually do a full-on assessment of like what can actually be done to help improve this person's health and happiness and it's all connected you know like our bodies our mind our spirit is all connected so Doing something like taking a psychiatric drug that disables the brain and harms the body is like, yeah, maybe in an emergency that can be useful, but in the long term, it's always going to cause more and more dysfunction over time. And th that's something you told me because um, you told me that you, one of our first conversations, you said, um, you don't think you're anti-psychiatry, but your friends all think you are. <laughs> because some people in in, in anti you know, people in the anti-psychiatry movement will say it's never okay, it's never good. But you know, that's always like one of my questions: like, what do you do if someone is just like been neglecting themselves, neglecting their health, and they come to that crisis point? Mm -hmm. I mean, I wish we had more tools, but I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I think we do have enough tools. It's just that they're underfunded or not funded at all. 
so people can't afford them and they're also like so considered they're so marginalized by our culture that they're considered like woo-woo or illegitimate or like what um, what specifically like a lot of alternative medicine even vitamins like or or supplements the average person like you talk to some people and they just say vitamins are unregulated and like you know they compare them to pharmaceuticals and they think pharmaceuticals are legitimate medicine because they're approved by the FDA vitamins are unregulated it's like well and now we have deplin <laughs> you know about deplin which uh is like it's a vitamin b um intense intense folate um i forget the manufacturer but it's a major pharma manufacturer and it's supposed to uh help your um uh one of the other segments i think ssris i might be wrong but it's called deplin and it's just like in a very intense folate my psychiatrist said she gives people with mood disorder that med and she gets rid of a lot i mean i i remember her saying like a third of the people go home I, I, that might be hyperbole because it's been so long but it was an it was a large amount so yeah i get wow. i get that too i'm like oh i started this supplement and people are say oh it couldn't be that that's just placebo <laughs> it's like no pharma even pharma <laughs> has supplements i would be thrilled to live in a world where I don't have to get supplements from a company that I'm like, it looks like it's a good lab, but you never really know. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I'll, I'll pick them up from, from Walgreens, and a lot of them are very, very, very powerful. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, totally. I think that, you know, if we, let's say all different types of alternative medicine were funded, like if people had healthcare dollars that they could use for whatever they wanted, um, I think that would completely change the game because, you know, a lot of people that go on psych drugs, it's like the only healthcare they have access to is a regular psychiatrist and there's, meds. A, there's a guy That's playing <laughs> music walking through the park here so people are uh people are having a good time it's 80 is it 85 degrees probably it's, it's getting hot it's like it's like a hot new york day in washington <laughs> we're both from new york here kind of just imagining we're in prospect but yeah, park and <laughs> the other thing i was thinking is about like how doctors talk like especially in new york you know i remember i had a doctor in new york when i was going through this who i i was saying that i wanted to try herbs and natural remedies and he was like herbs don't work if herbs worked people would take them <laughs> i thought that for so long that was a real problem i mean that was uh that's why i had i had julia ross's birth a book the mood cure on my shelf for years and even after i realized meds were not helping i still didn't crack that open until a few months ago because I was like, oh, if amino acids worked, people would know about them. It wouldn't be like just one person. But then you look and she's like, she has a clinic. She has like all kinds of, of empirical data that shows like that her, pro how successful her protocol is. But people don't know and uh, doctors don't know. And there's all, there's an entire world of things that works in a very scientific way that is not woo woo at all. It drives <laughs> me up a tree. And it's interesting because I think psychiatry is pretty woo-woo, to be honest. It's mostly based on um, kind of magical thinking. <laughs> like, there's really not much hard science behind it. And the test... Well, what do you mean? What do you mean? What do you mean? What do you mean? I mean, I know what you mean, but for everyone out there that doesn't know what you mean... Like, the tests are done for two weeks on young white males. For um, psych meds. Yeah. Like, the, the, the clinical trials are only done for two weeks, so they're designed to quote unquote work really fast so that people feel better within two weeks but there's no like long-term studies of how they affect people over three years or five years or 20 years and a lot of my clients are coming to me after being on drugs for 20 years and it's like at that point it's there's just so many things that make it hard to get off but you know it, it's amazing that some people still do it and i think the ones that do it 
have access and information. I mean, it's great that we, we all really do have access to information at the very least. We don't all have access to alternative health care, but um, we can do our own research. And I remember, you know, even back in the day, like when I first started this, it was taboo. Like doctors would tell me, don't research on your own. It'll make you crazy. <laughs> they literally told people, don't research. It, like it was like you were just supposed to listen to your doctor and that was it. And then, yeah, but if you are going to, if you're thinking about going on a benzodiazepine, please YouTube benzodiazepine withdrawal syndrome, because there's all these people, it's so sad, that are like, at their wits end, their lives have been ruined, and there's dozens and dozens of folks, like, updating their lives every day, and they're in bad shape. Um, it's not a few people. Um, yeah, sure, if, if, if that med is used responsibly, like it's supposed to be, over, you know, a couple weeks and then you get off of it, I, I am told, because people use it for uh, tinnitus and, like, some other things, like clonopin, Xanax, maybe there is a, a place for it, but yeah. the way it's prescribed, with no, like, when I was prescribed, I got, I got put on it, no one told me, go off in, in two weeks, when my dose was increased on the hospital, there was no... There was no conversation. Totally. I know. And those are so addictive. You know, you can get addicted to them in like two weeks and then start having panic attacks if you don't take them. And then, yeah, it's pretty bad. So what, do, you, do you have a hard line in like never take any med or only in certain... When, when is it appropriate? When is it not appropriate? Well, again, I really think... I, I guess I haven't mentioned this, but I think it depends on, you know, a person's life and what their goals are and what their challenges are at that moment. And, um, you know, I think that... If the way that our culture works is like there's a certain type of quote unquote functionality that people feel really pressured to live up to. And I think that because of that, there can be like a really intense need to get enough sleep or a really intense need to be able to seem okay, even if you're not. And um, like to feel calm, even when you're actually anxious or would be. <laughs> um, so... I think that, you know, there, there, I think it's like everybody's at a different place and some people, you know, who don't have access to or enough information about or enough interest in things like alternative medicine, I think that maybe taking a benzo every once in a while might just be like that thing that helps them to get through um, certain challenges and I wouldn't judge that or anything. I do think that there are alternatives that can be a lot healthier and, and more building of the body and like integrating of the whole emotional experience. Um, but you know, we're all where we are and <laughs> it's just, it, I think it really is like a full on cultural issue more so than about each individual and what they should or shouldn't do. And how do you find out what that is? What, what are your favorite thing? What, how about, okay. I'm, I'm your, I'm, I'm calling you up. Right. And I'm like, I'm on I'm on on five meds. I'm depressed. I can't get out of bed. Chaya, what do I do? <laughs> well, I would ask you a bunch of questions. You know, like how long have you been on them? Do you live alone? What's yes. your? You live alone. I live alone. Okay. I have no friends. <laughs> okay. I have no hobbies. <laughs> okay. And how is your diet? What are you um, eating? I eat uh, pop tarts <laughs> for, uh, and then I eat Hungry Man for dinner. <laughs> Are you sleeping okay? I uh, I just I do nothing but sleep. I sleep eighteen <laughs> hours a day. Okay, so are you interested in in starting to like um, adjust your diet and bring in some other things and maybe taper off a little bit or go down a little bit on any of the drugs? Is I that guess, why I you're reaching this out is, to me? This, this is I guess I guess this is the point though. If people are reaching out for you, they're willing to change. They're interested, right, yeah, in doing something where a lot of people just get stuck. Right. It's true. And that's why I try to focus mostly on the people that are reaching out to me because 
but it's true. It's sad. Like I actually think a lot about how there are tons and tons, you know, thousands, tens of thousands of people who aren't going to reach out to me because they just don't even know. They don't even know that they don't even know that the drugs are on are making them exhausted and sick and dysfunctional and unable to think or do anything. They actually might think that it's their quote unquote mental illness, that that, that is what, you know, because they're told that the mental illness that they have is progressive and that it's going to keep getting worse over their, the course of their life and the medication helps them manage it. So, Which for some people might be true or you, you're skeptical? Um, I don't think that particular line of thought is ever 100% true. <laughs> very politician. It's a very Hillary Clinton answer. <laughs> I told you I'm a diplomat. I try. Yeah. I'm, I'm a very strong opinionated diplomat. <laughs> uh-huh. I like it. I like it. I like it. I need to learn that a little bit better. I need to unlearn. See, you've been, you've been outside of New York a little longer than I have. I just, I, you know. I got out here a few years ago. I'm still running my mouth and getting myself in trouble. But um, but I think it's important because it is important to be diplomatic because people don't know. And people are so fucking sick of being judged for having a mental illness. They're sick, For whatever reason, they, they, they feel sick if that's, you know, side effects or that's an underlying thyroid condition or that's not having friends. Like, if they're depressed people in society judge the hell out of them. So I, what I see a lot on Twitter is people that are like, if you say you critique the med they're taking, they equate that with being critical of them for being sick. Mm-hmm. So when you say there's something else that might be, that might work better, they, 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 it's easy to see it as judgment. So I do think it's important to extend all of the empathy you know you can to folks wherever they are because that doesn't help Be, being a righteous prick does not help anyone get better totally exactly um and I, yeah i agree you have to really meet people where they are and the other thing the thing the reason that i don't really like to use the the illness framework is be, even though i can see how it can be useful in some cases i think that in some ways it's like judging people who don't quote unquote function as well in capitalism as being sick and then people who function really well in capitalism as being healthy or not ill, not mentally ill. Oh, it's, I mean, I worked at NBC. <laughs> I saw this, I saw the statistics. We had like, you know, uh, I was an NBC employee where the, you have to like go to the town hall where they show like, here's how much money we made for GE before it got bought by Comcast. It was General Electric and they showed where the spending for General Electric was on mental health. And it was NBC, 86%. Like or something like people in television have huge amounts of mental illness, and I have a whole idea of why that is. I think people in the arts very often are trying to compensate, and I think there's a, always a reason that you work yourself to the absolute bone. You're willing to be sleep deprived. You're willing to give up, you know, a social life to get attention by making a television show. Um, but um, but it's very, very common, and you wouldn't think. I mean, there are so many people that I know that are high-level television executives, and you wouldn't think that they have a mental illness, and a lot of them are barely holding on. Totally. You know, barely. And that's, like, normal. But it's so normal, no one notices it's a thing. Right. As, including themselves, including me. Right. I didn't think it was... I'm like, I can produce a television show that, like, 10 million people will watch. How do I have a mental illness? <laughs> right? Like, I'm obviously functional. 
But the thing is, I actually think that like our whole society has a mental illness. Like, how could there be anyone in our culture that doesn't have a mental illness? That's what I'm wondering. Like, if we're going to use the term mental illness to describe all these people, I'm wondering who are these other people that don't have a mental illness? Who are they? I've never met one. If we're if we're framing it that way, I've never met one. You don't. And, oh, maybe you just need better friends. <laughs> no, I have really good friends. What I noticed is that I was actually traveling around one year and like staying with different people. And I realized that if you live with anyone long enough, you'll realize that everyone is totally fucked up. <laughs> there really are no none of these magical, like totally together, healthy but there, people there, out some there. People are, <laughs> some people are in huge amounts of pain and some... Right. There's definitely a spectrum. Like there's definitely a huge range of how much people are suffering. I agree with that. You, you, you went on a trip to like see how messed up everybody is. <laughs> no, what, that wasn't my goal. That wasn't the goal. <laughs> that okay. wasn't my goal. But that was the... <laughs> That was the conclusion. Just, what I'm saying, though, is that, like, these friends of mine who I thought from the outside really had it together, I actually, like, then stayed with them for a month and was like, oh, okay, this is who they are. They do not have it together. You know, they're they're still great people, but they're fucked up. <laughs> do, but do you, do you think people, like, that have, like, really normal jobs have it more together? Or do you think, like, because we're a little bit weird that we're just around people that are a little bit... Well, it just, again, depends on how we're defining having it together. And I think that if our culture defines having it together in a sick way, then we're all going to be defining it in a sick way without realizing it. Yeah, I agree. I, I, in the cities, I think that's true. But I, think, I, do th- I, I do think it's a spectrum, and I do think there are pockets. I, I do think people can put together a healthy life. I agree. You totally, know? And I, do, yeah. I do think some people have succeeded at that. I think some people do it, you know, by chance i've traveled a lot and that was one of the first things that i I realized like going to the third world because or the developing world because i was scared i was like oh my god it's going to be so dangerous people are going to be so angry to see you know the white guy from america walking into wherever i was where the slums of of india or or you know rural mexico and the first thing you realize is that people that you know don't live in this kind of economy and the culture around the economy they smile all the time the little kids have friends all the time no one's alone people are playing Mm -hmm. the people are looking up in the street people are making eye contact whether you know that's poor people you know all over the place and yes i'm not going to say it's like kumbaya like there's a lot of material real problems in those places with Everything from like, you know, not being having a, a toilet to, uh, you know, burning plastic bags because you don't have trash and, you know, toxic, toxic stuff. But mentally, the vibe I get in places that are kind of outside of the American system, um, even though you wouldn't expect it, sometimes, it, I mean, I, I, I feel like they're doing a little better. Totally. Um, do you know who Charles Eisenstein is? I don't. Um, he wrote a book called Sacred Economics, and he also he did an interview with Kelly Brogan recently. Um, but yeah, he talks about how just how deprived we are in our culture, and how if you've spent time with tribal cultures, it's like you just realize that they have this wealth and this richness in their lives that we're totally missing, you know. And I I think that I think that's a really good point. There's yeah, it's just like anxiety. I think just goes yeah. is lower when people are around. Like we're designed. Uh, to be around people. I mean, we civilization's kind of a new idea <laughs> in the spectrum of human how, I don't remember. How long have humans been humans? Like 5 half a million years something like that. I mean, it's a lot of evolution. <laughs> civilization's 10,000. I mean, we're we're designed to like, you know, our our brain and our spirit and our yeah. bodies are designed to be around people. 
we're not supposed to be on Netflix, like binge watching at yeah. night and then going to sitting in a square box and, <laughs> you know. Yeah. It's interesting. I remember maybe like 10 years ago or 15 years ago, someone said that kids are like on screens eight hours a day. And I thought that was horrific. I was like, that's terrible. And now I'm like, yeah, now I'm probably on a screen about eight hours a day. And it's like, um, maybe not always, but, but it's, yeah. It's terrible unless you have the new God of War on PlayStation 4. <laughs> then it is awesome. I'm almost done with that game. I'm sorry. Um, no, I, I agree. I agree. I agree. Um, I, I've noticed my mood is my mood and my sleep is way different than when I'm on, uh, depending on what I'm watching. I find that I like still um, really good film doesn't affect my mood. Uh, really good television, as long as I don't watch it too close to bed. Where I get into the where my I, I've noticed my mood really suffers is like when I'm watching something I don't really love and I just want to be entertained, and I'm just using it as a drug to numb myself, oh then my mood, I get cranky, I get upset, I feel horrible. And uh, so, yeah, I have to be careful. I have to be careful. I have to watch more films and television shows. I can only play, like, the best games. Like that, I got into the South Park game, and I thought it was <laughs> so trashy and garbage. Like, the game itself, I was bored, but I, like, had to finish it. I was just like, obsessively trying to finish it. I, like, I had, like, a huge depressive episode just because I was stuck <laughs> in that. Yeah, anyway, I don't know what the point of, of that is, but uh, what have you found for yourself that works? Tell me about, let's talk about your, your, your regimen. Okay. Besides um, playing God of War on PlayStation 4. <laughs> I did that for five hours this morning. <laughs> <laughs> That's why you weren't sleeping. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, well, I guess for me, like, I've always had a pretty sensitive constitution, um, so my whole life, like, is kind of, like, I'm, I'm pretty pretty involved in self-care. Um, I meditate every day and I write with a pen and paper every day, um, probably for like, I don't know, almost an hour each day. Um, I try to exercise outside at least every other day. Um, I take some, I take some supplements. I actually also have a naturopath and I find, you know, I, I actually only started to have natural naturopathy covered a couple years ago and um it's great having that and i do a lot of research about you know nutrition and i guess in terms of my um, nutrition and supplement stuff um it's always like changing a little bit and i don't feel like there's like any perfect diet that everyone should go on even though i know that some people benefit a lot from specific diets I do herbal infusions. Um, oat straw and tulsi are two of my favorites for like really calming. And then nettle is a good one for nutri like um, nutritive, like it has a lot of minerals and so does oat straw. Um, and I take some other herbal infusions as well. Um, what else? I think talking to friends, like really, really making an effort to stay in touch with my friends and actually talk to them, not just text or just social media or that stuff. Because it's really easy, I think, at, in this day and age to, to really like not even actually talk to our friends because there's so much text communication. But I find that after a while that stresses me out and I really need to actually talk to people. Um, how do you do it? Do people pick up the phone? <laughs> it's no, hard. No one no, takes I my calls anymore. I, know, right? I don't know what to do. <laughs> I struggle with this as well. <laughs> Sometimes, honestly, like, I feel like every once in a while I'll have to reach, like, a meltdown state where I'm, like, I'm really suffering. Like, I really need to talk to people. And, like... And you text that to them. Sometimes I'll, I'll text all my friends, like, I really need... Will you call me? I really need to talk, you know? 
Um, and I think that it's hard to be vulnerable like that, but every time I do it, I'm like, wow, why didn't I just do this sooner? Why did I have to like get to that point of like total meltdown to feel like I could do that? <laughs> the other thing that helped me with that, cause when I got sick, a lot of my family wasn't around, you know, and kind of, I don't know if they, I think they kind of just blew me off, wouldn't return my phone calls and stuff. And the thing that helped me was like going to 12 step group and realizing that not everybody um, is going to meet those needs. And there's certain friends and certain family that is going to give you different types of things. Yeah. That was so crucial. So my, f- my friends that like were there, I called them instead of like, oh, why doesn't that, you know, family member who hasn't returned my phone calls in five years. And then I just got a lot closer to people that were open because I would just focus on that. That was a huge, huge lesson. Yeah, I think that's a good point. Because also, like, if you're feeling unhappy or down, like, there are certain people you really just don't want to talk to at that time. You don't want to reach out to the person in your life that's, like, really closed off and isn't going to listen to you or get it because that's just going to make you feel worse. (laughs) Yeah, it's, uh, it's, and I did that for a long time. That was, like, a big part of my depression loop where I would be, like, I would need someone and then I would look for attention and affection from people that just had no ability to give it and until like I, I you know did some 12-step work and people are like you know the the saying was you don't get um don't go to the drugstore for milk you don't or, right it was or don't you don't get oranges at the hardware store right. yeah yeah that was the other one the hardware store yeah and um I was like oh my god yeah <laughs> and then I could kind of like compartmentalize like the different my different needs and I got like real honest about what I did need and what I didn't need and that was that was huge for me um, yeah, one thing I want to talk about, like people think 12 step programs are just all for, um, you know, addicts and, uh, there's a lot of 12 step programs out there for people that may have addiction or not necessarily. Um, and you know, it's kind of against the rule to like talk on behalf of them or as a member of them. But could you talk a little bit about what you know about, um, 12 step groups for people, uh, or for, for programs that, that, I mean, people, everybody knows AA, everyone knows NA, Narcotics Anonymous. Um, people might know SLAW for sex addicts, but people don't really know other groups. Could you talk a little bit about what other groups exist uh, that um, might be helpful for people? Well, I've gone to Al-Anon on and off, but mostly on for quite a long time, probably almost 15 years. And, um, and then there's DA, like Debtors Anonymous and Under Earners Anonymous. And, if you're in a big city, you probably have access to all of them. There's also a really cool one that's very rare called Artists Anonymous or Arts Anonymous. I really like that one. But again, if you're not in a big city, you probably won't have access to it. But most of the more obscure 12-step meetings do have phone meetings. And a lot of them have phone meetings like around the clock. So if you're a phone person, you can actually go on the websites for um, any of those that I mentioned and find a phone meeting. And I will, I will just, I, I'm not speaking on behalf of, uh, on behalf of the group, but oh, ACA, uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah got to talk about ACA because a lot of, it's very helpful for a lot of folks. It stands for adult children of alcoholics, but it's for anyone that comes from a dysfunctional family, which is like so many of us that deal with, um, that, that deal with, uh, mental health issues or just any of us who are struggling probably come from a dysfunctional family. Um, and, uh people find a lot of relief. It's amazing how much in common people who have been through childhood abuse, childhood neglect, addiction in the family have in common. Even if those things totally. like are different, yeah. the effects are the same. Totally. It's true. And I, um, 
like I said, I've been going to Al-Anon, and, and also sometimes I do go to ACA when I have access to those meetings, Adult, adult Children of Alcoholics. Um, and something that I just want to say about 12-step, I, I think some people are turned off to 12-step because either they feel it has a sort of religious undertone or it's like too structured and too too many things or whatever. And I just want to say one thing that I like about 12-step is that you really can engage at whatever amount you want to. So I've been in 12-step um, for like 15 years. I've hard, I've, I have not done the steps. I've not worked the steps. <laughs> I hardly ever had a sponsor. I've had a few sponsors here and there, but like, I'm not really that into the whole sponsorship thing and the whole like working the steps thing for some reason. Like whenever I try to do it, I feel like I just kind of, it's just for me, like I love the meetings. I love the meetings because I love hearing people talk about their experience and being able to share my experience. And I feel so much peace and connectivity just sitting at the meetings and listening to people. And like, I have this great meeting in Olympia I go to on Thursdays and, um, you know, if that meeting happened every day of the week, I'd probably go because I just love it so much. <laughs> but I think like what's cool about 12 step is that you can engage however you want to. So some people don't even really go to meetings. They just have a sponsor. Like maybe they go to a few meetings and find a good sponsor and then they just work with their sponsor. So it, it, it's cool that it's like a free open thing that you can use in whatever way works for you. Yeah. Especially. Since, like. Yeah. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Uh, I was going to say since I, since we know empirically now that how much isolation plays a part in depression exactly. and how, how isolation is just wildfire on top of depression and depression, depressed people isolate and then they make themselves worse. 12, 12 step programs are a great place just to like go be with people. Even if you don't say anything, it's a non-judgmental place to just go chill out and not all meetings, <laughs> not every meeting is going to be great. Like right, you I have agree. to like try, to find your meeting. <laughs> yeah, you got to find your meeting. The last meeting I went to was like all housewives of Redmond. And I stuck out like a, a sore thumb. It did not work. But then I got, I found my spot and, you know, not everyone's going to be uh, for everyone, but it, it I, rem I, I wish I found it so much sooner. Cause I remember when I was at my worst, I would just drag myself to go to the movies just to sit near people. Cause I was so, yeah. I didn't know anybody and, totally. and I could not connect with anyone. So I would just go to the movies and just like, try to like, not even talk, but just listen to the conversations of the ushers and just hear other people laugh. If I was able to just like go sit in a room with people and just chill out, I think it would have been really nice. And then maybe someone would have said, hey, you want to go get ice cream or something? <laughs> I'm sure that would have happened. Um, so yeah. Um, so what, what else, what else is there? So you have this, this blog, you have this blog, this epic blog that you're writing a book kind of based on yeah of 111 things oh that blog um oh. <laughs> i thought you meant like my whole blog yeah i do have that blog yeah you have that blog in my book yeah how many of those things can so the, the blog is half, <laughs> the, the blog is 111 things you, you tell me what is the blog it's 111 things to try before taking psychiatric drugs although i think i ended up adding more than 111 and like if you look at the comments a lot of people added more things so how many can you remember oh no <laughs> Well, okay, I don't know how many I can remember, but I, what I will tell you is that I wrote that blog very quickly. It took me less than a half hour to write it. You know? Describe the blog. Well, I mean, so it's a, it's a piece. It's a, it's a, it's a list. Mm -hmm. I mean, the point of the blog is that there are infinite things that you can try before taking psychiatric drugs. And obviously, the things on that list, are not everything on that list is going to work for everyone. So I just wanted to make a really long list so that people would just have an idea. So rather than saying, like, I've already tried exercising, I've already tried supplements, and I've already tried, like, making more friends or something, and none of those things are working for me, like, full 
there's a whole bunch more things that you can try. And that list, you know, I wrote it like several years ago. If I went back, I could probably double it like in another half hour. You know, it's just there are so many things that that we don't that nobody really suggests, because I think, like I said, I think the medical system kind of educates people out of their common sense and they don't even think of like really basic things that can help people to feel more connected. And, um, yeah. And like, I think especially since psychiatry isn't really actually scientific or medical, like it doesn't actually do any real medical tests or assess what's going on in somebody's, um, physiology or body. It's like, it can really overlook a lot of, a lot of things that are going on in the biology that could be making somebody unhappy or like tired or anxious or all these other things. And, you know, in our culture, like we don't learn common sense in school. We don't learn like just how to eat well, like really basic things. Like if people don't actually take it upon themselves to learn more about nutrition, they might just be eating like a really bad diet without even thinking about it. And it might just seem normal. (laughs) But it is normal in this society to, to be eating I mean, the, the the nutritional density by, you know, all the facts and figures have gone so in the toilet over the last, whatever, 100 years, where, you know, most people are eating pizza for, for pizza and burgers and, you know, hungry man, and it's just a lot of bad carbs and bad fats, and it makes people sick. But, yeah, most doctors will not even ask you that, unless you find a really good psychiatrist chances are at least in every everyone that i've been able to find it took me a long time it took me like four years to find someone that even go well what are you eating oh no you can't really eat that like that'll probably make you feel terrible like (laughs) it takes a long long time but regardless what are the lists i want to know you want me to list all of them as many as you can (laughs) no how many can you can you do should i pull it off are you really (laughs) how many can you remember maybe i'll maybe just think of all the things that to try okay and then then maybe uh, i'll have some idea okay all right so let's see you can try um meditation creativity like um finding a creative thing to do each day whatever that is for you it might be writing it might be art music dancing um and taking like an hour, approximately an hour each day to do it if you have time, if you have that access to that time. Um, spending time outside. Did I say meditation? Yoga could be good for some people stretching. Um, making sure you're getting good sleep. So I would say for that, there are, well, okay, I'll go back to nutrition first, actually, because I think nutrition plays into sleep as well. So making sure you're eating enough protein and enough fat, enough fiber. Um, eating organic or high quality food as much as possible. Um, I don't advocate particularly for people to eat, you know, meat products or not, but making sure you're definitely getting enough protein if you're not eating any um, meat or dairy products. And, and being aware of your own sensitivities because some people are really sensitive to dairy um, or to certain types of dairy. And, okay, so food, like making sure you're really eating enough all the time and not forgetting to eat and not forgetting to eat enough protein or fat especially because those really interfere with sleep like if you're not eating enough fat actually that happened to me last night (laughs) I didn't eat enough fat because it was so hot out that I wasn't really eating heavy food and then I ended up having trouble sleeping Um, and I was taking all my herbs I was taking all my magnesium magnesium is another really big one I think magnesium everyone should be taking Um, and b6 helps to absorb magnesium there are also some other supplements that help the body absorb magnesium because that's one that almost everyone's deficient in. 
Vitamin D, most people are deficient in. So especially if you're in the winter here in the Pacific Northwest, taking vitamin D and um, getting sunshine as much as possible. Friends or and or support groups, both are good. Um, and let's see. Um, so the herbs, I mentioned the herbs that I take regularly, like the herbal infusions. So the herbal infusions are... They're really strong. They're almost like taking a multivitamin if you get the right combination of the really nutritive ones like oat straw, nettle, maybe rose hips because it's super high in vitamin C. And vitamin C can help a lot with um, anxiety and sleep and depression. Um, so let's see. Should this I, guy I'm is gonna driving me? a car. There's a remote <laughs> control car. I don't know if you can hear it in the background. Well, We're trying to talk about... <laughs> Saving the world over here, and <laughs> this guy is driving an RC car. Well, that's a good example of having fun, doing something fun, like playing in the park. See, always the diplomat here. <laughs> always the diplomat. I'm about to, like, lose it. I don't want to see Driving this car. Crazy. Get this car out of here. Um. I don't need that. I don't need it. I don't. No one needs that. No one needs your car. No one wants to see that. Go oh, fuck, get out of here. Oh, God. It's a good thing I'm taking all my supplements, sir. <laughs> Oh, amino acids is another one. I know. Actually, Jesse probably knows more about amino acids than I do. Je who's that? <laughs> who's that? Where, where's that guy? <sighs> yeah, it's a new um, thing for me. I mean, I was always skeptical. I was real until I tried tyrosine, and it was like boom. It's like what people talk about Prozac. All all those things made me sick. Prozac made me sick. All the like everything made me worse. And then so I was like, ah, this is kind of like I didn't even like believe in um, like. You know, a lot of a lot of folks critical of of pharmaceuticals, kind of take on you know the uh, chemical imbalance uh, idea, and I was like, ah, it's all, I looked at the 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 Julia Ross book, uh, the Mood Cure, and I'm like, this looks like psychiatry language, serotonin, dopamine. This isn't. I don't know about. I think this is all bullshit. And then I tried uh, I tried one of them that a doc prescribed to me. I slept a little better. I got another one. I slept a little better. So then I tried tyrosine. I was like boom, like a light switch turned on and I was like, holy shit, like, I guess brain chemistry is real. And then I was like, holy shit, every time I felt bad, you know, when my moods are really bad, everyone around me would be like, you need to eat, you need to eat. I would make my dad, my dad would make me so mad growing up. <laughs> Did you have anything to eat today? Fuck you, dad. <laughs> Fuck you. You know, and then I'm like, oh, like a lot of my moods are just because I didn't eat and that was like a really huge piece of information for me is that you, if you don't eat, you can, your mood can be seriously altered. If you don't eat a good meal, your, 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 your mood can be altered like right then significantly. And if you keep that up, you can stay in that. And it's not to say, you know, nutrition is a cure-all for every single mental illness out there. It's not, but for a lot of people, it's a huge thing, and a lot of people can walk away from the doctor's office just because they're like, oh, I need to eat in the morning. I didn't realize <laughs> I needed to eat protein in the morning. I usually just have a, a bagel and butter, and I'm depressed, and then, I over, and, then, and then I'm hungry for carbs, and I eat junk all day, and I'm, I'm a compulsive eater. A lot of folks will just be like, oh, I just eat, started to eat fat and protein, and I felt a lot better. Um, so it's just, for me, it's just about, there are telling, you know, for me... All of these ideas are just about informing people that there's a lot of low-hanging fruit. 
mm-hmm. that, totally. you know, it's not a promise that everyone's going to be cured by, you know, nutrition or meditation or yoga, but for a lot of people, they will be. Um, and, and a lot of people just be, you know, they'll get a little better and it'll be a little bit more manageable. It's like all, yeah, I think it's like all the little things can add up and help to sort of feel more in control of your reality. Um, Something else I was thinking about is Ayurveda. That's something, I've studied Ayurveda for most of my life, and it's like a system. Do you know much about it? I I don't know. For all the people out there that don't know it, what are you talking about? (laughs) Okay, so basically, basically it's, I mean, I'm not a total expert on it, but I've studied it for a long time, and there's basically three different constitutions that can get out of balance, and they're Vada, Pitta, and Kapha. Um, so it's helpful to know your constitution. Like if you tend to be the anxious type who's like thin and doesn't gain weight easily and is cold, that's the Vada. And then the Pitta is more of like the medium build, strong body type that gets angry and heated up easily. And the Kapha is tends towards being overweight and more sluggish and, um, having trouble like getting moving. But actually the Kapha is like, tends to have the easiest time in terms of mental health because they have that sort of extra um tissue and like body mass to like in a way sort of absorb things <laughs> they're not necessarily like getting as anxious as the other types um so but like there's all different kinds of lifestyle and nutrition things that are relevant for each type and also of course for each for the different times of the year because like during the winter people need to eat a heavier diet and like um it can actually be sometimes easier for people to stay grounded in the winter by eating really heavy and sleeping a lot and, um, you know, focusing more on internal things. And then in the summer, um, you know, it's like eating more fresh food, eating more raw food, stuff like that. So that's something that I like to educate people about as well as the other thing that I like to do with my clients is to find easy ways to eat healthy because a lot of times, especially when people are on multiple psych drugs, and have compromised health systems, it's hard to like get up and make like the, even for me, like making the breakfast that I make every morning, it's like, it takes a lot of effort, you know, yeah, like if you're depressed, it if takes you're time and effort. seriously depressed, <laughs> yeah. it's really hard to even just get out of bed to get to the couch. Yeah. But there are, you know, there are a lot of kind of shortcuts and cheat ways to eat healthier without necessarily having to cook a lot. And I think that it's like, just gradually, I think that gradually we can build up to being able to maybe cook all of our meals fresh and have them be super nutritious all the time. But, you know, there are like, there are some protein bars that actually are really healthy and have a really good amount of protein and fat and other nutrients in them. Like one that I love is called the perfect bar. Um, you can get it at Trader Joe's or a lot of other grocery stores. And it's just, I love it because it has a lot of protein and fat and it's like high calorie. It's not just a sugary little thing with like a few nuts and some sugar, you know, <laughs> so. Or a lot of sugar, depending on. A lot of sugar, exactly. Like most of the protein bars have a lot of sugar and not that much nutrition. But if you go for the ones that are really nutrient dense, it's like you can actually get like three or 400 calories in one of those bars and a lot of nutrition. And I think that, you know, for people really struggling in psychiatric drug withdrawal or with um, trauma and and mental emotional suffering, it's like things like that can make a big difference um, in terms of like, just managing daily life without getting as stressed out by little things. For sure. T- talk to about a little bit, if you don't mind, um, about, I mean, because I imagine you see some pretty tough, you talk to some people who are in really tough 
having a really tough time too, like brutally. Oh, absolutely. Almost everybody who calls me is having an extremely hard time. And um, t- uh, can you talk a little bit what, what, what it takes, like the worst benzo case that you, like what, what, what works, what, what do you tell that person? What, what, what does that look like? So people even know, like, cause a lot of people listening to this, they might not really know what that even looks like. Um, what does that look like and, and, and how do you support a person? Yeah. Um, well, you know, I, I have worked with people where it takes years, like three to five years just to taper off of benzos. And then it can take another three to five years to recover from that. And you've been with people so, through that whole experience. Um, I wouldn't say I've necessarily worked closely with people through that, that entire full experience, but I've worked with people and known people over that whole experience, like not necessarily working closely with them the whole time. But, um, but there's a good website called Benzo Buddies, which, um, is helpful for people to find other supporters. And one thing that I suggest for people is to find buddies or, um, mutual support people online in some of those forums, because luckily for benzos, there's a lot of mutual support on the internet. And, um, I think, I mean, for me, when I was getting off psych drugs, the thing that helped me the most was having that mutual support of other people who had gone through it or were going through it. It was just huge because so many people are isolated in it, especially because the type of, um, disability that benzo, um, long-term benzo use can cause sometimes really makes people pretty much bedridden or unable to, do anything, um, like leave the house. In, in some cases, it's really different for everyone, but um, but for people that aren't able to leave, leave the house, they can find connection online and, um, and hopefully turn those people into f- people they can talk to on the phone. Um, I think it's good for people to have somebody they can call like at all hours, you know, like find somebody who lives on the other side of the world that you can call in the middle of your night, who for them it'll be the middle of their day because... Um, oh, that's a good idea. Yeah, that was really helpful for me. Like, I had friends, and when I was living on the East Coast, I had a friend in Hawaii, and I would call him when I, like, couldn't sleep in the middle of the night. <laughs> and what, what, what are benzos for people who don't know? Oh, benzos are benzodiazepines. Um, the common ones are clonopin, Ativan, Xanax. I mean, I think almost everyone's probably heard of Xanax. They're, they're really fast-acting anti-anxiety drugs. So, basically, people often use them if they're, like, in a really anxiety-provoking situation or if they're having a panic attack. Um, they work really fast. So it's like you take it and it calms you down pretty much. The only problem is that if you start to take it every day or numerous times a day, you need more and more to get that relief. And sometimes, and then if you stop taking them after having used them for more than a couple weeks, there's often really extreme anxiety, panic attacks. Um, Did you, were you on benzodiazepines? Yeah, I was. What were you on and how long? Um, I was on... Xanax and Ativan. The other thing is like a lot of people like them more than other psych drugs because they actually make you feel good right away (laughs) versus like all the other psych drugs. If they ever make you feel good, it usually takes like a few weeks. Like when you take them initially, they make you feel weird and dizzy and like nauseous or whatever. Benzos just make you feel calm right away. (laughs) Like I think for me, it was like they would make my stomach feel really calm and like they can help with sleep. Um, so yeah, I was on, I took Xanax and Ativan and again, I didn't know anything about them when I took them and I didn't know anything about the withdrawal. So I went off cold Turkey just because I literally didn't even know, but I wasn't on them for that long. And I was like, how old was I? I was like 21 or 22. Um, so I think another thing, you know, I think like the younger somebody is, the less time they've been on the drugs, the easier it is. Like for me, it caused really extreme panic, but 
once I got over that, it didn't really have any other longer term effects because I had only taken it for, I didn't take it for that long. I, but no one told me they were addictive. Yeah, no one, it? no one does. No one does. And then like the feeling for me was like the feeling of being burned from the inside out, like all of my nerves. Felt, and I don't mean that like, like, like it felt like it, that, that's less of a, like it's, it's less of a metaphor. Like it actually felt the sensation was fire in my body for months. It was the most painful thing, not only, it's the most painful thing I could imagine. Like wow. it was like chemical torture. How long had up. you been on them? Five years. Wow. At some pretty high doses wow. at some points. Wow. Um, I had one doctor that just, I, I had, uh, when I had, when I first got put on meds, I went back to work um, within a, it was, took about a year and a few months. And during, those couple of shoots, I uh, got caught in a landslide in the Rocky Mountains and almost died. And then I ended up working on uh, this TV show where I saw a horse die and I saw other people, like these people abusing horses at this racetrack. I was just stressed out. I wasn't like having a full like breakdown because of that, but I was stressed out. I went to the psychiatrist in New York and, and he said, um, yeah, take as many as you need. And so I was like in New York and I was like, I like to party. I mean, sure, take as many as I need. I love the subway on seven milligrams of Klonopin. This is great. Um, and yeah, that's, that's what really ruined my health was because I got, I had that. And then I just, I was just, I just touched base with my psychiatrist in, uh, in California. And she's like, oh no, you need to go to the hospital like right away. And they botched my, my the taper in the hospital. There was like a person, a doctor that was not a doctor on the weekend, didn't really know what he was doing, dropped the dose in half in a day. And oh my, um, my health was never really the same. Wow. Um, yeah. And it's still been kind of like, uh, you know, playing whack-a-mole with like, <laughs> with my health ever since that. Yeah. Um, I can't say like that was responsible for everything, but that did seem to start a cascade. Yeah. Um, yeah. And people feel so trapped. Like when they end up, it's like they feel when they end up on all these ben on benzodiazepines for long term, and then suddenly realize they can't get off of them. It's like they feel extremely victimized. It's like it's such a, you know, it's like wow, my doctor just gave me this. I thought it was safe. I thought I could just take it and then stop whenever I wanted to. But now I'm stuck having to do this like really tedious process of slow withdrawal over such a long period of time. And like going through that withdrawal is just, it's, it's almost torturous and people feel so frustrated that they can't just get on with their lives, you know, and they have to like be in this like self maintenance process for years. So it's, it's pretty awful epidemic with the benzos. It is coming. Like, yeah, people, there've been a couple of articles written comparing it to opioids it's coming the awareness is coming i think mm -hmm. oh definitely it's definitely improved a lot in the past 10 or 15 years i mean even just the last week they had that big article in the new york times on uh vox had a had an article 200 drugs that cause suicidal suicidality it was just a list and it's like you have to scroll like 20 times down to see the entire list of drugs that can make you suicidal so I think it's changing fast. That's cool. I think it's yeah. the time to be having this conversation. Is it, is, it, is it a tree? We're sitting on a couple of trees here. It looks like you're getting a little... Uh, oh, I'm fine. My foot just fell asleep. Yeah. I'm comfortable other than that. <laughs> my foot just got pins this, this root is kind of in my lower back. It's kind of like a little, a little painful. 
At least there's uh, no one smoking near us. There's before. no one smoking weed. There's no our remote control cars going on. That guy on. was smoking something else. He, what was he smoking? It was like a cigar or something. Oh, was it? Oh, it might have been a spliff. Tobacco or weed. It was like something. Oh, it was crack. Yeah. <laughs> crack in the park in Tacoma. Uh, no, it wasn't crack. Crack smells like glue. I only smelled that once. The first oh, I think it was a clove. Oh, maybe that's what it was. Yeah. Probably not. Probably the better one of, of all of them. Yeah. I tried smoking cloves when I was a, a teenager. I kept getting, uh, I kept getting like uh, infections in my mouth. I was like, oh, yeah, wow. I'm, I'm, I'm a delicate flower. I'm a delicate flower. I can't do the, I can't do these meds. I can't, I can't even smoke. I can't smoke two cloves without like going on antibiotics. And some of us are just delicate flowers. That's how it is. <laughs> so for all you delicate flowers out there, just know. Well, and, yeah. Oh, sorry. No, there's stuff for us. There's stuff for us to do. You don't gotta. You don't. You know. There's options. And I think that sometimes, like, it's hard being sensitive, but I also, in some ways, I mean, it's it's hard. I'm not going to underestimate that at all, but um, sometimes I'm grateful that I was so sensitive because I think some people actually can stay on psych drugs long-term without it completely destroying their health and their life. Um, you know, like, some people don't have as sensitive constitutions, and they're kind of able to detox and, like, manage the um, the meds without it causing as much immediate problems. Um, so in a way, I'm grateful that I was so sensitive and that even on like the lowest doses of psych drugs, I basically was completely dysfunctional because it forced me to get off of them <laughs> right away, or eventually. <laughs> Have you seen this animation? It's one of the New York magazines. Uh, it's not New York magazine. It's one of the New York publications. Um, it's an animation of an author who credits all of the books that she was able to write to meds, but then says that, I think it's Seroquel. I could be wrong. Um, but the psych meds gave her a metabolic disorder that is expected to kill her. Have you seen that? Do you know what I I'm talking about? I think I heard about that recently. I yeah. gotta send it to you. I sent I sent it to people. I wish I should know what the hell that is. But yeah, I mean, it's I think a. My dad mentioned it to me recently. It's a better, uh, better to get off, even if it ruins a few years, than uh, to ru you know to take away the entire, you know, end of your life if you're you know been on it for 20 years and you have. Those long-term metabolic disorders. But some, I mean, we don't even know. We don't know if that happens to everybody. It probably doesn't happen to everybody that's been on psych meds for 20 years, 30 years. And it depends which one, sorry. Yeah, exactly. It depends which one. I think that they have been shown to overall reduce the lifespan by about 25 years. And now is, that, is that the meds or is that the illness? Well, that's the thing. I think it's the meds. <laughs> <laughs> but they say, sometimes they say, you know, people with mental illness die like 25 years earlier than the average person. So, I mean, I think it, it, part of it might be, you know, because I think with like the ACEs study also, they say that like people who experience certain childhood traumas are more likely to have chronic illness and to have addiction. And, and we know, yeah, we know that they smoke more. So it could be cigarettes. You don't even know. Things. Yeah. Well, that's true too. Cause like psych drugs and cigarettes tend to play off each other. And a lot of times when people are on psychiatric medications, it m makes cigarette addictions worse and worse over time. And, and then it, it also like causes um, weight gain a lot of the time. So it's like, there's so many complications and so many different factors, but I do think that psychiatric drugs definitely reduce people's life expectancy or lifespan. That's a bold claim. I, I'm not taking responsibility. Good. It's your opinion. It's your opinion. You heard that all the lawyers for big pharma out there. I'm glad. I'm glad you didn't say anyone specifically because I think it's that my opinion. And, and this is Jesse's podcast, and he's um, officially airing it. <laughs>
and it's not on my server. It's going to be on someone else's server, and I'm I'm not uploading it. So uh, <laughs> you thought I was a diplomat. What's yeah, going on? Exactly. You thought you found a diplomat? Yeah. For your show. <laughs> um, but no, I mean, I uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know how to know. Uh, but it's something I ruminate on and I struggle with a lot because, you know, as, as human beings, we have an experience and then we want to share that experience as ev with everybody else and being like, I have the answer. I knew the thing. And then you go on Twitter. If I go on Twitter and I just talk about, like, I had this side effect. It made me feel like I had fire in my nerves. People get angry and they're like, that's not my experience. And I'm like, well, what the hell do I know? I mean, I haven't looked at all the science and I don't know if... Prozac or one, you know, one of the better, I don't know better, but like one of the less destructive uh, meds you can be on. Now I'm getting in trouble. Um, but, you know, just one of the, you know, not, not, uh, I don't know, you know better than me, but uh, if you were on, a, on, on lithium, a low dose lithium, that's not going to have the same effect as, uh, you know, being on an antipsychotic for 30 years. And who am I to say, like, if that doesn't, you know, help somebody? Yeah, and I think it, it depends on the person because, you know, lithium also can have really dangerous effects and people have to be monitored when they're on it. Um, but but I think you're right that the neuroleptics and the benzos tend to be more destructive. Um, but the other thing, like you said, what I like to do also is talk about my own experience and the experience of people I know, but mostly my own experience. Like I have another blog that's 84 capacities that returned to me when I got off psychiatric drugs. Um and, you know, I, I, again, I wrote that just so that I could speak from my own experience and say, like, these are all the things that I couldn't do when I was on psychiatric drugs that then I could do again when I got off. Um, just to give people a sense of hope and, um, and just awareness that these are all the things that your psychiatric drugs could be taking away from you. It's not true for everyone. I'm not going to say what's true for anyone else, but this was my experience. And I think, I guess I felt like I came so close to being killed by psychiatry, by those drugs, that I felt like... I felt a sense, especially at first, I mean, comments are people saying, yeah, I'm struggling with lamictal withdrawal. This is what's going on. But then there are a couple of comments from people that are like, this must be some weird fringe group. Like, I don't understand. Like, some people are saying lamictal, a couple people said lamictal helped me, but one person was like, is this some weird fringe group? And I thought that was weird because there were like, you know, 50 to 100 comments of completely random people, none of whom knew each other at all or knew me even. And somebody was like asked, trying to imply that this was like some kind of weird cult of people pretending Lamictal is hard to withdraw from. Well, Scientologists hate psychiatry. I didn't even know this was a thing. Scientology has like their own anti-psychiatry group. And someone, someone sent me one Citizens, of those articles. Again, Citizens Commission, CCHR. I, I, yeah. I posted one of these articles. I didn't know what the hell, it, you know, I didn't, it looked like a real nonprofit. And I think it is a real nonprofit made by Scientologists. And, uh, and some of their research is real, but ugh. it's going to get a lot of. <laughs> mm, I, I am not. I am not touching that with a with a, a, a ten foot stick. That is, uh, oof, no. Those guys, they have their own. No, we don't got to talk about that. Anyway, um. <laughs> I'm always curious though. Like, I don't really know that much about Scientology, and I'm not a Scientologist at all. <laughs> I, I just, I, I don't have any affiliation with them whatsoever. But I, I'm always a little bit curious if, like, they got such a bad name because they're so anti-psychiatry. Like, if they got to be more popular than other horrible cults, you know, and to be, think, like, well, more have... famous for being a horrible cult than so many others because they're anti-psychiatry. I don't know. I mean, I think they get in trouble because they're just, they so don't give a fuck. When people, like, when people investigate them with cameras, they try to bully the people with cameras 
and then they just look horrible especially lately like there's been all of these you know documentaries like louis theroux had a documentary there's the uh uh, there's another there's that series that's on uh, i don't remember it's a cable series on leaving scientology um and you know the and i mean there's just and then the connection to hollywood also makes it visible so it's like Tom Cruise is involved in this thing and these people are really abusive towards each other and people who are new to it get, you know, hurt really bad. So it makes it just an easier story. And then if you report on it, they harass you and then you can record it and you have, you know, this footage, look, I'm getting harassed. It's like they're, you know, not doing themselves any favors, but yeah, the stories of abuse coming out of that organization are just so, uh, so crushing that, yeah, it's not good. So on that note, we need something, uh, we need, we need a better note a to, uh, we need a closer. <laughs> yeah. I like the closer you had before. Maybe I'll just re-edit the thing. Which was that? Where you were like, uh, yeah, it was something like you didn't, you know, you don't know what's best for everybody, but you just got to tell your own story. Yeah. If you're listening to this, can you just like remember that great quote? Uh, <laughs> so we don't leave on Scientology being horrible. <laughs> Well, you know, something I noticed, I'll, I'll leave, this is a good note to leave on. I noticed that a lot of the people that I work with, almost all of them have a dream to be able to tell their own story publicly and to reach out to other people. So that's something that I notice as like a common theme with people who've experienced suffering from psychiatric drugs and withdrawal is that desire to educate and connect with other people. And, and it's really heartwarming to see how much people in that process really care about each other and want to support each other and teach others what they know and of course like everyone can maybe be a little dogmatic when they discover like the thing that helped them and think that that's the thing for everybody else but um but I also think that people are starting to recognize that that we're all different and that you know what worked for me may or may not help somebody else but I can share it at least and then if someone does benefit from them they'll have that information Please, can we please get that? That that is a beautiful idea, and I mean, and that's really where we need to go because there's so much new information. It's in, you know, it's it's not real that there is going to be one protocol that works for everybody, and we're just getting more information, not less. And there's a lot of exciting things happening right now in research. There's a lot of exciting things happening right now, um, just in clinical data um, of, of 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 interventions um, that really work. Uh, to get people feeling better. So, uh, yeah, if we can just share that more freely instead of, like, having fights over this worked, this didn't work, it'd be a great thing. Totally. And I think another thing, another good thing that I think can come out of that is, like, you know, all these people who are, like, sensitive and creative and been through a lot of trauma and suffering coming together to 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 be connected to each other and to be friends and to support each other just on a basic level as human beings. And that's really what we all need more than anything in, you know, a lot of the time, you know, I think so as like, <laughs> I mean, like, yeah, if you're, if you're in a bad spot before you need any of the notes on nutrition, you need notes on exercise, you need, you know, to learn how to meditate, you need some comrades to be around, um, and you just need that connection. So reach out to this community. We're around. There's a lot of, a lot of people who, uh, who have been through hell and back, who are looking to share their stories. And with that, is there any, where, where can people get your stuff? Um, well, I have a free ebook on my website. It's HayaGrossberg.com. But actually, I'm going to say it is med-free 
medfree.solutions, because you can probably have an easier time spelling that than my name. <laughs> so yeah, medfree.solutions will bring you to my website as well. Um, and you can, you can get my free ebook and read a ton of blogs. And I also have a blog on Madden America, which you can look up um, under my name, Chaya Grossberg. Uh, hopefully it's C-H-A-Y-A-G-R-O-S-S-B-E-R-G. I think that sounds easy enough. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks for being with us today. Thank you so much. <laughs> it was great to talk with you, Jesse. We'll do it again. Thanks. Thanks for listening to the podcast. If you found the conversation valuable and you like what we're doing and you want to see us continue to keep making this kind of work, um, please keep us alive over at mentalhealthmedia.org where you can receive a tax write-off for your generous contribution and uh, because we have a fiscal sponsorship with the Northwest Film Forum. We are a fiscally sponsored project through them and they are a nonprofit. So we are uh, a nonprofit project. So we get to we get to give you a tax write-off um, for your contribution. Special thanks goes out to Tamara Broadhead and Patrick Mohan, who helped bring you the show today. Um, and as always, don't make any changes whatsoever to your treatment plan based on any of the content on this podcast or mental health media. That goes doubly for today's content. Um, if you're going to be withdrawing from psychiatric medication, if you're going to be making any changes whatsoever, you really need to talk to a licensed mental health care professional who knows you, who knows your background, who knows your total uh, medication load, just know, needs to know all of the things. And I don't know all of the things. Um, our guests on this podcast don't know all of the things because we are just voices in a phone. Maybe on a web browser, probably not on a, on a web browser, but we're, this is a one-way communication. And uh, even if we did have the two-way communication, um, you really need somebody who's going to sit down with you, someone who knows what they're doing, someone that has the training, and this podcast just is not that. Um, this podcast is to you know help you get some new ideas that you can take to your uh, mental health care practitioner, but it is not it is not designed to be used uh, in any kind of standalone way. So don't do that. Take care of yourself. Get the help you need. Get the support that you need. Um, until next week, friends, you can find me over on Twitter. I'm at Zookman, at Z-O-O-K-M-A-N-N, um, where I post every day. I got lots of articles in my queue just ready to come out. So uh, stay tuned. Um, be, uh, you know, stay up to date with the research that I'm doing personally. As soon as I find some new information, I share it on Twitter. Then we talk about it. And, uh, yeah, and, and then, uh, you know, we've got a great group of, uh, of clinicians, um, of patients on, on the Twitter um, that, that are kind of surrounding this uh, mentalhealthmedia.org work. And we get a really good conversation going. So um, if you're a clinician, you know, tweet me. If you're a patient, tweet me. Um, I retweet a lot of good folks, and uh, we, we have a good conversation every single day. So that's at Zookman, at Z-O-O-K-M-A-N-N, where you can find me and all of the posts. And uh, with that, I hope you have a great week. Zai Gazette.